Welcome to the Not For The Average podcast. I'm your host, Trent Leishan. Today, we are going to explore the concept of sales mastery. We are all selling something. Now, think about it. Sales, which is really the art of influence, is a fundamental and foundational skill in life. Yet, we aren't skilled in sales. You can't obtain a degree in sales. So what makes somebody successful when it comes to selling? Today, we are very lucky to be joined by Richard Layton, the Managing Director of From Packaging Solutions Australia. Richard is someone that I know very well. I would call him a sales master and someone that I think has mastered the art of sales. Um, We're lucky to have him today. Richard, welcome. Thank you, Trent, and uh, nice to be here. Sales mastery, Richard. Before we get into it, you do a lot of travelling. So how are you coping at the moment being grounded? Uh, I'm still married. Um, just. That's a good thing. I'm actually using the opportunity to think. Normally, I would spend a lot of time in airports, aeroplanes, hotels, uh, where I use that time to think. So I am blacking out parts of my day to try and think of the new ways forward because what this COVID fiasco is going to do is change the salesman again. So we have to think about how we adapt. That's what I've been doing in COVID apart from drinking expensive red wine. Richard, for our audience, tell us a little bit about From. From is a business owned by a gentleman in Switzerland called Ronnie From, Reinhard From. It was founded in 1947 in the debris of World War II uh, when the building industry, for want of a better word, as the whole of Europe, had to rebuild all the buildings that were bombed out. He, uh, on his push bike with his brother, went around selling fastening systems. Rattle, rattle, fast forward, he then sold steel strapping used to unitise in the building industry. He, his father left the business, his brother left the business. Ryanie invented pneumatic, which is an air-operated air, air, um, strapping tools for steel strapping. He then invented a tool for plastic strapping in the late 90s. From now, is worth about 400 million euros with manufacturing facilities for plastic strapping, plastic strapping tools, steel strapping tools, automatic wrapping machines and strapping machines. And these facilities are throughout the world with 25 sales companies. They bought our company, Australian Warehouse Solutions, in 2010, and we are the second largest sales company within the From Group. One of the philosophies that I was drawn to initially was one of the From philosophies around everybody selling. Can you shed some light on that? Well, I actually believe everybody in the world is a salesperson. Everybody's selling something. If you're an accountant, you're trying to justify your spreadsheet management, you're selling that concept to the course of reading the spreadsheet. If you're an 18-year-old boy on your first date, you're selling yourself to a girl. Um, not in or a boy. Selling for a boy, depending on the modern world we live in. Yes, absolutely. Everybody's selling something. So if you're doing it consciously, you're doing it for a living. If you're doing it subconsciously and for a living, you're probably very good at it. If you're doing it subconsciously socially, you're meeting friends in the pub, um, whatever you're doing, you're still selling. Everybody is a salesperson selling something to someone. Well, Rich, you've been selling for decades, and I did mention in the intro that uh, everybody is selling something. The link here is what is sales, though? Because you talk about everybody selling, but what is it? I think in in the truest sense, it's the transfer of a good or a service that improves the outcome for the buyer. So if you believe in yourself, 
you are selling yourself to a prospective partner. You are hoping that your collaboration with that partner improves his or her mutual life. If you're selling a good, you're, you're believing that your good improves the outcomes for the person who's buying your good. Ultimately, what you're selling is you're selling hope. One of your great quotes, Rich. You look at Winston Churchill, the great world leaders, they sent thousands and thousands of people to fight for their country, fight for other countries to certain deaths because they gave them a vision, they sold them hope. Um, so ultimately, I believe what we're doing is we are selling hope. Rattle off three of your biggest clients. My, my biggest client is a, is a hay baling company called Gilmac Hay. Long ago, aluminium, they're, they're always in the news in New South Wales because they're using all the electricity grid up. Brick manufacturers like CSR and PGH, um, they're, they're in our client base. And you've been doing it a very, very long time. So are you selling those types of companies, those big organisations, are you selling them hope? We, the reason they dealt with us is because they saw, they saw hope for their future. We were able to match up their expectations with what we could offer them. And the day we stopped giving them hope, we become a commodity. So, yes, they have a commodities department, which is the procurement department, but ultimately there are relationships in there that people will still come to us or we're able to go to them and show them things that we believe will improve their business or they're coming to us and saying, I have a problem, can you show me the way out of this problem? The philosophy that everyone sells it from, I love. And when I first heard it, I thought, spot on. No wonder you guys are successful. The other thing that I found intriguing is your, you are a managing director, you're the boss. What's the title on your business card? The title, I have two business cards. I have one when I'm an administrator and the other one is I'm a salesman. Um, when, I, when I fly around the world and I, I, I fill in the landing card, it doesn't matter what country I go into, it says occupation and I put down salesman. Salesman. Because ultimately that's what I do. Always at the pointy end, I know that. I've travelled with you internationally as well. Might have gone up the front and left me at the back. Um, I think I did, actually. And even better news is because of COVID, I've decided that I'm only ever going to fly first class from now on. I'll get you you next time. At Boom, we do a lot of negotiations, training, um, contract negotiations, objection handling, all that sort of stuff. And the number one fear, why we don't ask, why we don't push, why we don't negotiate is fear of being a salesperson. Uh, From what you're saying there is you're actually proud of being a salesperson. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if someone asks you what you do, if you're not proud of it, you shouldn't be doing it. It's, it's pretty simple. It's what you're paid to do. I'm not paid to sell the wrong thing to the wrong person. I'm paid to sell the right thing to the right person. It does come back to that hope and belief concept. Some of the best salespeople, and I would consider you one of those, they're extremely assertive. They can speak the truth, and I think that's something that a lot of inexperienced salespeople struggle with, trying to fit yeah. in, trying to be liked too focused on the sell, getting paid. The, the more experienced sales masters that I work with, and there's a number of them, it's almost they, they have an ability to be able to be completely transparent, to be honest, and it comes across as not only endearing, but I think customers respect that. The other, the other thing is we have to be careful not to be too belligerent and arrogant because as we get older, we've seen a hell of a lot more than obviously the younger people and sometimes you can be considered belligerent or arrogant when you say, that ain't going to work. And everybody stops in the room and go, oh, says who? And then you have to explain to them that in your experience, you don't think it's going to work as opposed to that ain't going to work. 
what makes somebody a strong relationship builder? And we want to link into this concept of relationship investor, which I think is a new concept. Think about B2B selling. What happens in the absence of strong relationships? You're a trader. Um, You've got one thing you can offer, price. If you don't have that relationship or you're not prepared to have that relationship, the customer or the potential customer doesn't know who you are, they don't know if you're trustworthy, they don't know if you're credible, Uh, there's no reference to turn to, you can't say, I know your friend Trevor and Trevor told me to talk to you, Trent, so there's no reference point, you're a nobody, you're you're, you're just a, you may as well just be a, a computer. If you don't have a relationship with any, yeah, or anybody or anything, you you you, you shouldn't be in the game. There's no meaning. There's no meaning to your life. Absolutely no meaning. The story that you shared with me when you took a client, you flew a client over and took them to the rugby. We we had a, we had a I had a client in WA and he was um, he's right into the rugby which I'm not, and but I had two tickets to the British Lions and and I said well if you want to come over it's no problem. So he flew over and I picked him up and he said, I can't get a hotel. I said, that's fine because you're staying at my house. We went out to the rugby game and in our sheer luck, my tickets were halfway line. After the game, we got a limousine back to my place. We had some dinner, slept on a sofa or a bed, whatever it was. And in the morning, I dropped him at the airport and we've been friends ever since. Um, And he said, well, why would you have done that? And my answer was, well, why wouldn't I have done that? Uh, and And I would think that, if the tables were reversed, he would have done that for me, and he has done that for me subsequently. We built that relationship. We send text messages, yeah, and we, we have a mutual trust and respect for each other. I, my wife, I took a photograph of him at the stadium. Uh, my wife at the time was working, so it must have been a long time ago, uh, for a printer, and um, she um, got that photograph scanned um, onto a print and we posted it over to him. So it's on his wall in his um, uh, den downstairs as his private place for when he was in Sydney to, for the um, British Lions against the Wallabies. Ah, that, that's brilliant. That is a you are important example. It links into a business friendship that you form with people that you trust, respect, and, yeah. and help. And those relationships become so important. Um, and there is meaning there, isn't there? It sounds like there is a connection, there is a meaning there. It isn't transactional. Yeah, you're not going to be everyone's best friend, but he's got another guy that works in his business and I've become friends with him as well. Again, we're normal people doing normal things and just so happens we do some business together, but if he retires or I retire, I'll be the first. You know, I don't expect that that will stop. I mean, obviously the transactional matter will stop for me, but I think if I was in Perth or if there's something good on TV on the History Channel, we'll still exchange that information and, and, and remain associates or friends in some capacity. I'm a BDM, right? I'm working for an organisation like From. Um, I'm thinking mm-hmm. to myself, well, that's okay for you because you're the owner. Yeah, you can yeah. take them to the footy and you can you can schmooze. And I'm not going to do that. I'm just a BDM. Um, what would you say to uh, BDMs that have that type of mindset? You're just a BDM. <laughs> You've answered the question yourself. You're just a BDM. You've got no passion. You've got no drive. The passion. Um, yeah, if you pass on. If, if, if you want to take a customer to the football and, and you want to form a relationship with that customer because you like the bloke, your kids are in the same school, whatever, go your hardest. I'm not holding you back. The only thing that's going to hold you back from success is yourself. And perhaps the relationship is false. If, if, if you need me to sanction you to have a relationship with a, with a potential client, well, that doesn't sound like a smart way of doing business, does it? 
Certainly doesn't. Um, we are, as we said, a male, there's a male reference there, male undertone coming through, but I can tell you now, all things being equal, fe- female BDMs win. <laughs> They're right. Um, my, um, my accountant is a female, my PA is a female, my internal sales manager is female. I'm surrounded by women and I, I don't dislike it. And, and I'm just of an age where I still use the word man instead of person. I'm sorry, I'm not as PC as the rest of the world. That's uh, that's a little bit different. You've got to be careful there as well. But the world is changing. It's pretty. That's a good thing, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, and again, it comes back to relationships and how you see people. Do you want to invest in people? Again, so a lot of salespeople just don't know how to do that. Thinking about some of those changes that are happening in terms of our social environment, the business world reflects that. Our world is changing and it's spinning very, very quickly at the moment thanks to COVID and thanks to a lot of things that are going on around us. How have you seen the sales environment change? The, the, the fundamentals will always be the same. You, how they're arrived at is the thing that constantly changes because, you know, we've seen the advent of a pager, we've seen the advent of a mobile phone, we've seen the advent of the internet, with all, all these facilities which morph the role of the sales and making it easier or harder to do business. Um, so they are, they are communication tools. Um, they're supposed to make it easier for us to communicate, but in a lot of cases they make it much harder. Mm. <laughs> the unintended consequence is the opposite reaction. So, But the, the fundamentals of sales remain, to me, if there are humans involved, the same. The fundamental is a good or a service, a hope, an outcome that is better than previous one, uh, a cost-effective solution uh, matching up with what the customer's ideals or desires are. How we develop relationships, in my view, hasn't really changed. You know, where technology has. My kids think I'm creepy because I'm on TikTok. But, <laughs> Your kids and I right. do creep around on there, I must admit, but it's because I want to understand it because that's how our kids are communicating. It's a branding exercise. Yes, exactly. And I want to master other forms of communication, you know, LinkedIn, um, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, um, face-to-face, events, conferences, groups, one-on-ones. Like it's all communication, isn't it? Yeah, and, and I think what you're, you're trying to do there without having asked you this is be relevant. Mm. So if, if you are relevant to people, there is a hope for whatever you're trying to do to, to, to work together. Uh, by using those facilities, you're you're relevant. You're finding out. You're researching. But as I say, I, I think the fundamentals are, um, of what we're doing remain constant for the remain last constant. forty, fifty yeah. years. So the way we communicate changes, but the way we build relationships remains constant uh, to a large degree. Remains constant, which which I think you know is comes back to some of those old school values. You know, respect, manners, appreciation being interested i think it's two ways and a good relationships two way if, if if you're not invested in what they're doing and what you're doing and if they're not invested then you'll find that they're not answering your emails you're, they're not returning your calls suddenly you're no longer relevant you're not mm. that investment has ceased you know why am i on tiktok to be relevant uh, i think that's part i think that's part of it definitely understand it uh, to be to maintain relevant the last thing you want is to be non-relevant i think that's when you're in trouble in any relationship you see people who are leaders in their businesses come up towards a retirement age and they lose their relevance to the business and their underlings virtually have to push them out mm-hmm. because they're actually holding the business back because they're no longer relevant. 
they're there in, in body and soul, but they're not relevant. They're not innovating. Yeah, not offering hope. A bit like an old dog, Rich. You know, they're yeah, starting to go yeah, blind. They sit around on the couch. And no one wants to pat them anymore. <laughs> they're there. <laughs> they're there, the little darlings. And my Monroe Brown's a bit like that at the moment. God love me. Not quite, but he's, uh, he's getting very long in the tooth. Um, yeah, saying relevant is really important. The ways that we do that are to make sure that you can, you know, continue to learn, have the receptors wide open. And I think that's something that I see with really high performers, you know, whether they're sales masters or just unbelievable. In fact, the managing directors and CEOs that I work with, the best operators, all consider themselves salespeople and they all understand mm. sales. You know, they understand it. Um, whether or not they uh, define themselves like you as a salesperson, but they just understand a lot of these things we're talking about, whether it's been through trial and error or they invest a lot in their own knowledge. They're continually looking to get an edge, which means they're looking to stay relevant usually. What qualities, Rich, do you... Um, do you look for when you're looking, when you see top salespeople? Are there any qualities that stand out to you from you've got a large team of both internal sales and BDMs? What qualities do I want in a salesperson? I'm looking for, as a human being, I'm looking for an optimist. I'm not looking for a pessimist. Um, hope. Hope. I'm looking for, this is a bit of an Englishism, someone who's a nosy parker, they're inquisitive. Mm. Um I'm not looking for someone to be sitting in the interview, sitting back, letting me drive the interview. I'm looking for someone who's nosy, who's, who's, who's questioning. But perhaps he's a revolutionary inventor or she will be an inventor or a creator. They're the things we're looking for. I mean, how we flesh out to find those things is, is another question. I, I, I've taken a pun on what you're, uh, you often say. I, I think... The greatest skill of a salesperson is they need to be a conduit between the average and not the average. Their, 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 their customer is doing something and there's a way to improve that. Mm. So the salesperson is the conduit to the improvement. Yeah. So yeah. in using your logos and some of your words, quite often what the customer is doing is a pretty average sort of outcome. So our salesperson who's that conduit is going to make sure that new outcome is not average. I think that's, mm. a, that's a great example. And that's sort of a look at uh, the parallels between elite athletes and elite business people, salespeople, high-performing activities and professions, you know, your SAS and, you know, anyone that's elite has that natural leadership instinct. And I think, the, you know, the great salespeople, the great influencers all have that. And I think the, the link to sport, elite sports people is also data-driven. Um, there is no doubt, uh, I think you might have told me this, on, on a Monday morning you'd open the back of the Sydney Daily Telegraph and you could see the stats for Jonathan Thurston. You could see if he had a good game, a bad game, how many passes, da 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 And I think that, that data-isation of sports people is what's got into business. So now we can say, my great salesman, Paul, whoever Paul is, um, we can see how many calls he's making, what's in his pipeline, the length of time it takes him to get an order or close a sale. Um, is he just selling for the sake of selling or is he improving people's lives? Um, all that data is now available and the elite athlete is so competitive, um, they would naturally make good salespeople. So mm. a good mm. salesperson in many cases is a sports fanatic as well because they thrive on the data. 
Well, that's true. And there is a really strong link. And I know that competitive nature is hard to teach. When I know someone that coaches a lot of junior athletes, myself, it's hard to teach. Yeah. Um, it can be learned, but it's very hard to teach. And that's the competitive instinct, I think, that serves you. You've got to want to win. Sales. Well, that serves you very well in all aspects of life, I think. But there is sometimes a fine line, isn't it, in there between being too competitive, not being a team player, all those things. Um, well, that's how so you end up with drugs in sport. <laughs> Well, that's true. There's, yeah. um, and there's some good things here. Entrepreneurship, we're talking about staying relevant, which is digital marketing, you know, and being able yeah. to um, change the way you communicate to be relevant. The performance analyst is what you're talking about there, the understanding data to drive high performance. To me, the data mm. doesn't lie. We've done many exercises, haven't we, Richard, from to improve data, data capture, data transparency to make smarter decisions. Um, and, and we have a lady who we've employed who is a data queen. She can analyse the data and and rather than data for data's sake, she actually pulls it apart so we can see we can see the good parts about it and the bad parts about it as opposed to persecuting people with data. Well, she used to eat muesli for breakfast. Now she eats numbers. Yeah, absolutely. She absolutely <laughs> loves it. And the, there's, that's a sign of a good data analyst. Understanding the mm. data makes smarter decisions and having people internally that can help you do that. Ability to negotiate. Um, we talked about the service. You know, that example that you used of taking the client to the rugby um, is a great example of going the extra mile. And this being a serviced evangelist is definitely consistent, even though things have changed over the, um, over the journey. I think people still love great service, how you make them feel, feel a sense of importance. Friendship, connection, all those things are vital, I think, for any business, B2B or B2C. But I want to, I know we're running out of time here, Richard, but I wanted to talk about the the negotiator because it seems to me the sales masters I come across are ferocious and they have almost a healthy delusion that they believe rightly or wrongly what they sell is the best in the world and the customer is mad for yeah. not buying it. And that, that helps with their belief what, what's your take? How does someone in at from what sets them apart in being a good negotiator, a really high quality negotiator when it comes to contracts? I, I think you know. First of all, there is that arrogance that you are buying a, a, a from product. You're not buying something cheap and nasty. You've got to be able to make that customer or educate that customer to want your product, and what he wants is yours. He's going to leverage something else to try and negotiate a position because that's what they've been taught on the buying side. You've got to ultimately believe that the only solution for him, if you do believe it, is what you're offering. And we didn't get an order the other day from a customer. I won't name them. It's best not to. We're all staggered. We're all going, why didn't you buy it? And the customer can just says, oh, the other offer was a bit cheaper. No, no, but, but why didn't you buy it? What was the reason? And they said, oh, well, it was the price. I said, why didn't you tell us? And we said, you're going to get the wrong thing. Um, and now they've shown us what they were going to buy. We're looking and going, they're offering you an orange. We're offering you a rosy red brand new apple. So and there's certainly arrogance in the negotiation. I think we all make the mistake of defaulting to price. Um, and, and that's a dangerous place to go. I think we're all far better off in, in keeping the price where the value-added proposition exists so that if 
other things are brought to the table, you have somewhere to go, you can pad out an offer to somebody. And in, and in the end, they don't know what the cost is. So if, if, if they perceive value on their side, negotiation's over. doesn't matter if it's got a 5% margin or a 500% margin. There's, there's no price list in, in, in that regard. If the customer perceives there's value and you've, if you've shown that value and it ticks their boxes for their drivers, be that return on investment or be that an environmental driver or, or whatever, who cares what the price is? So creating that urgency on the customer side, when, you, you know, when are we going to do this? The best negotiators ignore the price. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it's always important. It's in the top three or four drivers usually. The modern buyer, the modern buyer, the purchasing officer, he only has one KPI. Uh, it doesn't mention value, doesn't mention quality. Mm. His, his, mm. his RO, his, his KPI is price. And that could be to the third or the fourth decimal point. Um, well, you're talking about the and that's a tra- That's a tragedy of their business because... When they have these buyers that are as hard negotiators like that, people like me, we just get up and walk out and say, mate, go and, go and, go and fight it out with someone else. I'm not interested. Uh, and I believe you. I, I don't. I've about- walked out of many meetings. So, mate, you want to go and buy crap, go and buy it with someone else. Oh, I love it. Kill the time waster before they kill you, Rich. And, again, the, yeah. the sales masters I work with that are, have been around the block a few times, extremely street smart, they um, they blowtorch time wasters. <laughs> it's actually fun to watch sometimes. But – that's also part of educating the customer as well, educating them on your process and what works because you've got a, mm. thousands of customers that, you know, that buy from you for a reason. But in the absence of relationships, you mentioned earlier that it becomes transactional. And if it's transactional, it defaults to price and enterprise comparison at your own risk. Mm. Great insights, I think. The deep sense of belief, the ability to educate, talk to the right person, and if there is a strong relationship, the price is relevant, but it becomes less relevant. Because if, if I'm dealing with a provider and I like them and I trust them, respect them, they've helped me, they've, they've fixed problems, they've um, gone the extra mile for me, I want them to earn money. I want them to do well. I don't want to bend them over and have them sharpening their pencil all the time either because it's two-way. The sales masters we work with, they all, take, they all know this stuff. It's basically common sense, but it's educating their teams on it. It's trying to, get them to change their mindset around moving away from transaction to becoming more of a relationship investor. And that's going to be a really big theme for Boom in 2020 and 2021 is the relationship investor. Um, but, but, but we forget. We, we, people in our positions, because we do most of it, most of it, not all of it, but because we do most of it naturally, we, we, we forget that it doesn't come natural to everybody else, hence why we engage organisations like yourself We'd forgot it. We were we were doing it naturally, and then we don't understand why. Yeah, Paul yeah. is Paul doesn't do it. I mean, it's Hard Paul to doesn't know. Yeah, mm. uh, and, and that was the the attraction to, to to boom was the professional, the fact that you were prepared to say no, and you kept asking all these questions. The attraction was that fascination of. Hmm. Uh, I don't think in our conversation, I don't think we the price came up once. I wanted, to, I wanted the training. You wanted the, 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 to do the training and the, the pricing was a byproduct of that. It wasn't how much is it going to cost. There's a question yeah. I asked you at the coalface in negotiations, Richard. Do you remember that question? What price do you put on training, I think it was? No. <laughs> no? Do you really want to do this? <laughs> you, you, no, you, your, Kelly asked me a few times, then you asked me that about ten times. Do you really and, want to um, do this? 
and, and what we did through this is we started the cultural shift as well. So it, it wasn't about sales training. It was about better people. Mm. Um, we identified people that had to move on, most of which we have moved them on. Um, we identified people that we thought could adapt. Did I want to do it? Mm. Yeah, I really wanted to do it, actually. Yeah, I really did. But I didn't yeah. understand at the time what was involved. Yes. Um, yeah. But did I want to do it? Yeah. Am I happy I did it? Fantastic. What are your three best tips or words of wisdom um, for somebody who wants to be more successful in sales? Number The number one thing to do is ring them back. If they ring you and you don't take that call, don't sit there and think, I wonder what he wanted. Oh, God, we stuffed the dip. Ring the bloke back. Follow Ring him back. Don't be frightened. Don't be frightened of success, your own, theirs, yours, his. Do not be frightened. Mm. And ask questions and be interested. Mm. So if you're interested, the questions will come. If you're not interested, there aren't any questions. Be interested. Be a normal person. Be, be, be who you really are. So pick up the phone, make the effort, follow up. Yeah. Be interested. Be genuinely interested. And be yourself. Yeah. Be who you are. But I think quite potent, actually. Very potent. Richard, I wanted to thank you for your time today because I know um, I know you're – well, you're not flying, so you're probably not that busy at the moment, but I know you're still busy. Um, I'm, honestly, I'm not. I know you're still busy, but um, I appreciate you making the effort and the, giving us your time. And if the listeners were intrigued and want to learn more about From, where can we find you and where can we find From? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, you can find from uh, under from-pack.com.au. From pack. From dash pack. We are on Instagram, apparently. We are on Facebook, apparently. But we're on all those platforms. And I think we're on TikTok as well. I I'm TikTok. I have to follow you on TikTok. Uh, That's creepy. Uh, we're working on a few ideas for, for TikTok. Again, for relevance. Yeah, um, really, nothing really. else. Branding and relevance. And LinkedIn, you can find me um, if they're involved in packaging of materials for transport. Give us a shout; I'll help you out. Good man, good man. Thanks, Rich. It's been great speaking with you, and I look forward to catching up with you after lockdown. No problem. Absolutely, mate. I'm on the first flight to Melbourne when they're open. Brilliant. Thanks, Rich. Speak soon. Cheers, buddy. Take care. And that has been Not For The Average. Uh, You can find this podcast on Instagram, Facebook. Um, You can actually download it directly from Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well. Um, And get social with us on Facebook and on LinkedIn as well. Um, I hope you've enjoyed our conversation today. That is another sales master. There will be more to come as well. So thanks for your time. Look forward to catching up with you soon. And remember, you are important. Trent is the Managing Director of Boom Sales, Australia's number one sales training and development company. If you'd like to accelerate your sales growth and profitability, go to boomsales.com.au.